Friends and enemies, welcome to the Progress Report. I am your host, Duncan Kinney. We're recording here in Amiskwachewa Skygan, otherwise known as Edmonton, here in Treaty 6 territory. And today, we're doing a podcast on people who deserve to be remembered. We're going to be talking about words like courage and sacrifice, bravery, and it's going to be about soldiers. But it's probably not the soldiers that you think. On this Remembrance Day, we're going to remember the brave men and women who served in the Mackenzie Papineau Battalion in Spain's Civil War during the 1930s. A part of Remembrance Day that we've gotten away from was bringing out the ruling class and, and pointedly reminding them that they murdered millions of innocent people under the most horrific circumstances possible for no good reason. There used to be a criticism and a politics to Remembrance Day, you know, a recognition that, like, war is bad. And that's been lost. And I propose that we bring it back by memorializing the Mackenzie Papineau Battalion, the MacPaps. They were ostracized by their own country for fighting the forces of fascism just a few years before Hitler invaded Europe. But time has proven them to be on the right side of history. And so here we are. Today, we remember the courage and the bravery and the sacrifice of the original anti-fascists, the original Antifa, the Mackenzie Papineau Battalion. To help us out with this discussion, we have Karina Michelson. She's based in Halifax, and she's the project manager and co-director for the Canada and the Spanish Civil War Project. Karina, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Before we get into it, why don't you just describe what the Canada and the Spanish Civil War Project is for our listeners? Because I definitely used it a lot when I was doing research for this episode, and it's a fantastic resource. Yeah, so this is a Shirk-funded kind of academic research project. It started out as a study of literature by Canadians about the Spanish Civil War and kind of expanded to be about Canadian involvement in the Spanish Civil War and the Spanish Civil War's effect on Canada's culture and history. Um, so our website takes, a, our research takes a lot of different forms and you can see a lot of them on our website. So we have a series of print books. Um, we've released, uh, we've re-released uh, old Canadian Spanish Civil War literature that's out of print. We have a podcast, we have a database of volunteers. So Canadians who are involved in the Spanish Civil War are there as soldiers, journalists, uh, doctors, etc. cetera. Uh, we have a bunch of material from, written by Canadians about the Spanish Civil War that we've um, digitized and put on our website for you to view. Um, so we kind of study the history and uh, the cultural impact of the war on Canada. It's a really fantastic website and we'll have the URL in our show notes. So let's kind of give a, a quick Coles notes of the Spanish Civil War, you know, especially for the people who maybe, you know, read homage to Catalonia 15 years ago and maybe aren't necessarily up on all the details. And if I correct anything or if I make any mistakes, Karina, just feel free to jump in. But in 1936, a left wing coalition wins an election in Spain. Um, they begin expropriating land from Spain's richest people and redistributing it to its poorest. And in response, the ruling class, uh, a broad coalition made up of the military, the aristocracy, and the Catholic Church, they initiate a coup d'etat. That coup only half works, and the resulting stalemate is the start of the Spanish Civil War. On one side, you've got the Republicans, and on the other side, you've got the fascists. Eventually, and quite quickly, uh, Nazi Germany and fascist Italy uh, show up on the side of the fascists as well. On the other side of that equation, uh, shortly after the Civil War starts, international volunteers start showing up in Spain, interested in fighting back against fascists. Uh, how important was anti-fascism to the people who were showing up, Karina? And what is this anti-fascist political project back in the 30s? So anti-fascism was very important to them. So the slogan of uh, the Republican effort internationally was Make Madrid the Tomb of Fascism. 
So the stance was uh, that fascism was on the rise most places, uh, including Canada, fascist parties, fascist politics, um, and that people had to resist um, as much as they could. And people believed that if they could stop fascism in Spain, then they could more easily stop it in other places as well. Uh, and they also feared that if they couldn't stop fascism in Spain, then it would spread. And they were right about that. Um, so fascism, I mean, that's a big question. What was the anti-fascist project back then? Um, that kind of has to do with what fascism was back then, right? <laughs> but kind of crackdowns on democracy and investment in capitalism, conservative values, uh, things like police brutality. Um, yeah. So how did the message get out to Canadians who were interested in volunteering to fight the fascists in Spain? Who was doing the recruiting and the organizing of these folks? Um, it's kind of sneaky, so we don't know a ton about it. So you kind of had to be screened by the Communist Party uh, in order to get sent to Spain. Um, and it was very shady. You had to meet people at certain places. And even once they began the journey to Spain, it was like, okay, take this ticket and someone will find you in New York. And then once you got to New York, someone would be like, take this ticket, someone will find you in Paris. So it was... We don't know a lot about how they were recruited. Mostly they self-nominated and they connected mostly with the Communist Party to get there um, and with other organizations like the Canadian uh, Association to Aid Spanish Democracy that were mobilizing to get help to Spain. And there were good reasons why it was such clandestine cloak and dagger stuff, right? The, the Canadian government was doing its level best to stop people from volunteering to go fight in Spain. Yes, so the Canadian government had taken a stance of neutrality on the Spanish Civil War, as had many other Western countries, including the United States, France, and Great Britain. And uh, the Canadian government brought forward the Foreign Enlistment Act, which said that Canadians could not fight in foreign conflicts, and it was specifically about the Spanish Civil War. And even though nobody was ever charged under that act, it meant it was difficult to uh, get into Spain, people had to go through France, they had to lie about what they were doing there. Um, and many people's passports, passports were stamped not valid for Spain uh, because of this act. But despite all this, around 1,700 Canadian volunteers did show up to fight for the international brigades in the Spanish Civil War. And it's, uh, you know, an interesting collection of folks. You got a lot of communists, um, you know, as far as ethnic backgrounds of the, of the people who did end up going, there were a lot of Finns, a lot of Ukrainians, a lot of Jewish folks. But really, it was anyone who was highly motivated to bash the fash and who wanted to fight back against fascism. Those were the kind of folks who ended up in Spain, right? Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, and they identify in a lot of different ways. They were asked what their politics were when they got to Spain. Um, and many of them explicitly identify as anti-fascist. So these Canadian volunteers you know, end up in Spain. So how did the Mackenzie Papineau Battalion come about? So once Canadian volunteers got to Spain, for the most part, they were sorted into the Abraham Lincoln Battalion. Um, there was also the Washington Battalion. For time, they were separate battalions and they were collapsed into one. So they get referred to in confusing ways. But the Lincoln Battalion was primor primarily Americans, American volunteers. And Canadians got sorted with them, or sometimes they ended up in the British Battalion. And uh, many other Canadians ended up, because they were recent immigrants, they ended up in their uh, home battalions. So Hungarian, uh, Eastern European battalions, Ukrainian battalions, things like that. But uh, there was enough Canadians in the Lincoln Battalion that they wanted their own kind of place. They wanted, they didn't want to be confused with Americans anymore, and they wanted something for Canadians back home to rally around in their support of the Spanish Republican effort. Um, so 
McLeod, A.A. McLeod was a Canadian who traveled to Spain and rallied. He gave an impassioned speech to the Lincoln Battalion about the Mackenzie and Papineau Rebellion of 1837 and how important it was and Canada's revolutionary past. And they voted for a Canadian named battalion. But even when the MACPAP battalion existed, it was primarily American and Spanish volunteers because there were never enough Canadians to form their own battalion. Yeah, a battalion is a lot of people. But, but interestingly, there was this tension between, you know, what is this, you know, internationalist socialist project and this kind of branding effort to have this explicitly Canadian part of the international brigades. Yeah, and that tension comes up in a lot of weird ways. Like a lot of these Canadians, as I said, most of them were recent immigrants. So they didn't necessarily identify as Canadian and Canada didn't necessarily identify them as Canadian, right? Canadian citizenship wasn't a legal category at that point, but these were people who were uh, often at danger of being deported back to their home countries. Um, now, even when we study it, sometimes other scholars from other countries will say that we should study all of the Spanish Civil War literature and we shouldn't be limiting ourselves to Canada, but often they are limiting themselves to their own country. So, But it's also useful to think of Canada as having a rich history of anti-fascism. And so associating anti-fascism with the name Canada is, I think, helpful. Yeah. And, and the anti-fascist part of this is so interesting, right? Because a lot of these people were also anti-war organizers who had anti-war sentiment. And this tension between kind of wanting world peace, but also recognizing that you're going to have to go to war to fight the fascists is a, another tension at the heart of this project. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And I don't know how many, I know the cultural figures from the 1930s were often involved in anti-war efforts. I don't know how much the working class men who, most of whom went to Spain, were involved in anti-war efforts. I think they were more anti-capitalist as a group. Um, and that can be tied into anti-war and anti-fascism, right? And uh, also anti-police <laughs> was a big part of what they were mobilizing against. So a lot of these big uh, violent institutions of authority yeah. Uh, well, it, it was the Great Depression, and, and I guess there was a lot of uh, bashing of heads of poor people going on at the yes, time. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, but Karina, you've done a lot of work kind of cataloging and researching the folks who volunteered. Uh, there's a lot of interesting people. And, and one of the people that came up off pod when we were chatting about this episode before we were recording was, was someone named yeah. Jim Watts. So, so who was Jim Watts and, uh, and why are they so interesting? So Jim Watts, um, also known as Gene Watts, uh, also known as Myrtle Eugenia Watts Lawson, she goes by a lot of names, makes her slippery in archival research. Um, she was a upper class woman from Toronto. She was uh, very much involved in cultural organizing through the 1930s. Um, so she was best friends with Dorothy Livesay, who's a well-known Canadian poet. And she was working um, closely with all of the writers who are kind of the canon of Canadian literature in the 1930s. She herself was a journalist and a scientist um, and an organizer uh, with the Communist Party. And she ended up in Spain as the foreign correspondent for the Canadian communist newspaper, the Daily Clarion. While in Spain, she wrote articles. She broadcast daily from Madrid over the shortwave radio. So she was responsible. She was one of the people responsible for two for daily uh, English broadcasts about the war. Uh, she was a censor. She worked in the censor's office. She was an ambulance driver. And she uh, supposedly also um, was enlisted in the International Brigades. And she also served with uh, Norman Bethune's Blood Transfusion Institute. So she was all over the place doing a lot of interesting things. And she was also an openly bisexual woman 
and she is pretty freaking fascinating. So we're always trying to learn more about her. And we have a lot about her on our website as well. We definitely need a Canadian Heritage Minute on Jim Watts, I think. Yeah, we've talked about that so many times. <laughs> yeah, just like the openly bisexual, genderqueer, anti-fascist communist who was just in and around the who's who of Canadian literature at the time. And there are some other, like, you know, interesting human interest stories that are out there too, right? We were talking about this Danish guy, and you could kind of see his correspondence over time, and you could see him becoming more and more radical until he went and volunteered, right? Yeah, so there's a great article in a Canadian history journal about Ivor Anderson, better known as Tiny, and he was Danish immigrant. He came to Canada in, I think, 1930, and he, we have a bunch of his letters that he sent home. And they kind of catalog his radicalization um, from, you know, hardworking immigrant ready for the uh, Canadian dream to anti-capitalist, anti-fascist who ends up in Spain. Um, and uh, he's super fascinating. <laughs> um, just because his family who lost track of him uh, were later contacted and they had no idea that he became a communist and they, uh, didn't think that that they didn't believe it because it was so out of keeping with the man they knew in the 1920s but so much happened to him during the great depression that he just his ideology totally changed and you can just see it in his writing right from this humdrum upwardly aspirational guy to you know someone who was an anti-fascist and who went and volunteered in the spanish civil war but um you know the sad part of this podcast is that you know ultimately it, it didn't end well for the macpaps and you know, Spain was not the tomb of fascism. And, uh, you know, the Spanish Republicans ended up losing in early 1939. The last holdouts in Barcelona kind of fell. The international volunteers kind of went home in late 1938. And then kind of, as we all know, in 1939, uh, later on in 1939, Hitler invades Poland. And we all know what happened there. But ultimately, you know, how many Mac Paps uh, gave their life for the cause? Uh, we think around 600. Um, it's really tricky to track based on who was missing in action, who just was missing totally, who ended up in various prison camps, who wasn't allowed back into Canada. So there was actually a Canadian uh, government agent who was sent to Spain to decide who was allowed back in the country and who wasn't, and he didn't allow many people back in the country. Um, yeah, so it's confusing, but probably around 600 people died in Spain. And are these people memorialized in Spain? Is there markers and memorials for them or what? Yeah, there's memorials for sure for international gates. They often come under attack. Um, and there are all, there is a lot of people in Spain who work hard to remember the international brigades. And there's some people in Spain who want to destroy those memorials. Um, uh, but Spain itself had its pact of forgetting after the death of Franco in 1975. So the country decided that they weren't going to talk about what happened and they weren't going to prosecute uh, crimes or look for people who went missing either during the Civil War or during uh, Hitler or Franco's dictatorship. So it's only a lot of the work around memorializing has happened more recently as people start to push back against the pact of forgetting. The one really interesting thing right now is that they're against some laws. <laughs> they are uh, exhuming mass graves um, of people who died either under Franco's rule or during the war. And they're trying to figure out who those people were. And some of them are Canadian. Um, many of them are not. So yeah, that's a whole effort in Spain that has a lot of legal um, 
context. And Spain is, is reckoning with this too right now. They're reckoning with their fascist past. I remember reading something recently about how um, you yeah. know, General Franco's body was yeah, being he, moved. Yeah, his or body something. was just exhumed. Yeah. The other interesting part of this is the story of the Spanish Civil War here at home in Canada. You know, how did the, the Canadian media and political establishment view the volunteers? So uh, during the war, obviously, they weren't supported. So the Foreign Enlistment Act said they shouldn't go. <laughs> um, after the war, uh, their communism was uh, not liked by the government. So they were labeled premature anti-fascists. So they were anti-fascist, but they were anti-fascist too early. And once Canada as a whole became anti-fascist, kind of in entering World War II, uh, they, some of them were refused entry into the Canadian military. Some weren't, some were accepted. Many of them were tracked by the RCMP for years and decades afterwards. But nobody ever ended up in jail for um, defying the Foreign Enlistment Act, but they were definitely under surveillance. Well, premature anti-fascist is a hilarious kind of Canadian bureaucrat construction. It is. It's well, it's not just Canadian. That was that was a phrase used in the United States as well. So I don't know where it originates, but it's a ridiculous phrase that my brain always seizes on. It's like it's just it's absurd. <laughs> you know, fascists are bad because, you know, World War II and Nazis and all that. But you were just, you know, two years too yeah. early. You know, sorry, it's mate. as absurd as labeling yourself anti-Antifa and not realizing or refusing to recognize that that means you're a fascist, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And so these uh, premature anti-fascists didn't get pensions, right? They were harassed and spied on by the state security apparatus when they returned. And so did we eventually come around on these folks here in Canada? Was there ever any recognition of these folks' bravery and sacrifice and courage in, in fighting fascism? Uh, not by the government, uh, not by Veterans Affairs. Um, so one of the reasons we took up this project is because the Canadian War Museum is not interested in the Spanish Civil War. Um, uh, they were recognized in Spain. So in the 1970s, after the death of Franco, uh, several of MacPaps were uh, invited back to Spain. And actually one of them died uh, on his trip back to Spain within like a few hundred meters of where many of his friends had died in 1937, which is very beautiful and sad. Um, but uh, for the most part, their recognition has come um, from academics, from artists, from writers, and from their relatives and leftist groups. So ultimately, if, if we want to remember these folks, it's, it's up to us, right? You know, Stephen Harper has done a lot of work in talking up Canada's military history, you know, things like the War of 1812, you know, before Canada was even a country, and, and a lot of, of messaging and work around Vimy Ridge and World War I. So is this work around the Spanish Civil War and the MacPaps, is this a project that the left needs to, to take up and consider this history and, and consider who we remember and who we valorize? Um, yeah, maybe. Uh, I mean, I think some of the left already has. So uh, I am currently working on my actual personal research or my dissertation research is on Canadian comics. So right now I'm writing a chapter on or writing an article about English language comics about the Spanish Civil War. And there's quite a few recent Canadian comics that take up uh, either individuals who fought in Spain or uh, uh, situating the Spanish Civil War in broader Canadian histories of leftism. So I think that is already happening and I think it should keep happening. But I also would love to chart a longer trajectory of anti-fascism in Canada. 
because the Spanish Civil War, as interesting and fascinating as it is, it's still a lot of like white men and uh, anti-fascism has to look like more than that <laughs> um, for it to be successful, especially now. So this episode is going to be released on Remembrance Day. And, and you know, I don't speak for all leftists, obviously, but I, I have mixed feelings about Remembrance Day. You know, I feel like we've gotten away from the original purpose and spirit of the day, which let's remember is a statutory holiday, a whole day off across Canada for everyone. You know, it is important to remember the dead and their sacrifice, but now it feels like it's more about policing poppies, you know, reciting Flanders fields, you know, watching a 21 gun salute solemnly, you know, instead of talking about things like world peace or that war is hell. Uh, or even the history of the First World War, which is the reason for the holiday, right? You know, especially the material conditions that, that led to it. You know, the ruling class of Western Europe essentially murdered around 15 million people for no actual definable good reason. And so many of these people died in some of the worst, uh, most terrifying circumstances, you know, ever cooked up by man. You know, and then the war largely ending because the ruling class saw what happened in Russia in 1917 and wanted to head that off at the pass. And, you know, also the First World War demobilized a huge swath of internationalist uh, socialist organizing, right? Like nationalism was and, and continues to be a hell of a drug. And remembrance these days feels very nationalistic, you know, very pro-military with none of the criticism of the state or the ruling class that are originally held, right? The whole war is bad part of Remembrance Day doesn't seem to get much play these days, and I think we need to say that out loud. You know, the deep societal scar that the First World War left on society has pretty much healed over, and it's gone from our memory, and so I think finding new stories is important, right? And if that's the case, I'd argue that we should inject a little anti-fascism into Remembrance Day and spend some time remembering the sacrifices of the brave men and women of the Mackenzie Papineau Battalion. So I'm curious, like, what do you think is the best way to go ahead and do that? Oh, there's so many ways. So one is that you can go visit the grave of a MacPap. And uh, I think you're going to provide a link to a map in your show notes. So uh, Pam, Vivian, and Ray Hoff, who are, um, Pam Vivian's making a documentary about the MacPaps, and Ray Hoff is a kind of a historian outside of the academy who helps us a lot with our work. Um, they have found a whole bunch of graves and they ask that people go visit them and lay a white rose and an international brigade's flag. And November has terrible weather, so they also recommend doing this at other parts of the year, not just Remembrance Day, which I think, you know, extending our uh, rumination on war outside of this one day is important too. Other ways to think about anti-fascism and Remembrance Day, um, read Gord Hill's Antifa comic book and think about how anti-fascism uh, in Spain led into World War II and how that led into anti-fascism now and see those kinds of trajectories. Um, instead of thinking, oh, I'm going to think about this war instead of that one, like think about them together <laughs> and start making those connections. Um, read Charles Yell Harrison's uh, General Stein Bed, which was a, uh, he was a veteran of the First World War and he wrote a very anti-capitalist, anti-military, anti-nationalist novel about it that was censored by the Canadian military and is a really horrific and meaningful read. Um, and go visit our website and learn about anti-fascism. And also support present-day anti-fascism. <laughs> Always, yeah. Yeah, recognize that anti-fascism outside of wartime is good too. Uh, not You don't have to just fight Nazis in a uniform to be a good anti-fascist, right? Yes, uh, support your local anti-fascists, folks. 
Uh, Karina, what's the um, best place for people to find you online? If you've got any, if you've got like an online presence for people to follow you, what's the URL of the website too? I mean, we'll have it in the show notes, but you may as well give it out now. Yeah, our website URL is super easy. It's SpanishCivilWar.ca. So think the Canadian URL route in Spanish Civil War. Um, you can find us at, on Twitter at CanadaSCW. Um, I don't really want to be found on Twitter <laughs> because I uh, talk about uh, romance novels and uh, things like that. And maybe you don't. It is a cursed hell site. I don't regret. I don't. Talk in this episode. Well, you don't have to be. Um, you don't have to be chasing clout or anything. That's fine. You've got. You've got the project. <laughs> yeah, but our website has so much to offer, and uh, you can get in touch with us either through Twitter or through our website. And we love talking to people. Uh, I also love helping people find stuff. So if you have a question about the Spanish Civil War and Canadian involvement, I will help you find the answer. It's my favorite thing to do. Well, yeah. And thanks so much again, Karina. Uh, to everyone who's listening, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you like this podcast and you want to keep hearing this podcast, the one of the things that really helps this podcast continue is your financial support. And if you go to... Uh, theprogressreport.ca slash patrons. Put in your credit card. You can become a monthly donor, $5, 10 $15 a month. That really does help us continue. If you don't have the cash, it's cool. Uh, sharing this podcast, reviewing this podcast, you know, smashing that like button, uh, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. All those things are also very, very, very helpful in order to get this podcast into more people's ears. Um, and and yeah, it's, it's, it's easy as just like uh, texting it through your Apple podcast app or through whatever you use on, on your uh, Android phone to be like, Hey, this is a really interesting take on remembrance day that you should listen to. Uh, also, if you have any notes, thoughts, comments, things you think I need to hear, uh, I'm on Twitter at Duncan Kinney and you can reach me by email at Duncan K at progress, Thanks so much to cosmic family communist for the amazing theme. Thank you for listening and goodbye.